You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, where every week we invite an expert to hear about their incredible journey and career paths. On today's show, we have the pleasure of speaking with Zainab Dalla. Zainab raises her voice and drops mics with her spoken word poetry. She has a fierce passion for social justice and community empowerment. This week's sponsor is Soho Business Solutions, Inc. I'm Fatima Al-Sayed, your You Mentor Talk Show host. Make sure to tune into the talk show every Saturday at 3 p.m. for more stories every week. Zainab, how are you today? Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> so over the um, course of your high school career, you sort of fell into poetry. Can you tell us a bit about what drove you into it? Mm -hmm. So I think um, as a young girl, I'd always kind of had a passion for social justice, or I always felt that whatever I saw going on in the world, I always had something to say. And writing sort of just came naturally in that that's what I felt was best for me to express my words. And for me, a lot of my uh, spoken word actually ends up, I guess, more like a rant or a speech, but I perform it in a more poetic or artistic way and try to incorporate some of those elements. Um, But so in doing that, thankfully, the high school I went to really just pushed um, students who are interested in that sort of thing really well and really encouraged people to get involved. And I accidentally I actually accidentally got involved in the sense where my friends like pushed me. There was like an open mic happening at my school. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I have this one piece that I've written and Mm -hmm. just for fun. And when I got up on stage, there was just this whole different presence that I think just came over me and this new um, feeling of confidence that I really enjoyed. And I felt really proud and happy with myself after having accomplished that. Mm-hmm. And Alhamdulillah, the piece, you know, people really liked it. And after they had announced that these are the people who would be competing in a school-wide competition in the district school board and that I was one of the students representing them. And I was like, oh, my God, what? Competition? Wow. Like, I did not sign up I for this. I did up for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then from there, look, we had a teacher that really – gave us the freedom to really express ourselves and really watched us over and um, looked over our writing and that sort of thing. So having that sort of mentorship was just so important, which is, I mean, kind of what this show is about, right? Like you mentor, Mm -hmm. having that presence really fostered human being and as a Sorry, can you still hear me? I think you cut out a bit. Yeah, and no, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Just making sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you ever overcome the fear of speaking to a crowd and having those nerves at that initial point? Hmm. Um, I think just looking at it as a really positive experience, um, there, you're always going to have nerves. I know even for me and my own mom, who is a world-renowned speaker, and, you know, that's kind of her livelihood is speaking, we both do get super nervous, right, when we're about to speak, just because you can never really predict how a piece is going to be received or what people are going to think. 
Um, but something that I do that really helps me is, well, I, I take a minute and I talk to myself and I do try to talk to God right before then. And I remind myself that this piece that I'm doing, you know, I wrote it at a point in my life because something significant had happened to me or something great that I saw and something really sparked in me to write that piece, right? Like it didn't just come from anywhere. And that at the end of the day, I'm performing this for myself. And one of the most amazing things about spoken word and writing and art in general is that it is it is really a form of healing. And, you know, and a lot of um, therapists use that in their sort of like, you know, art therapy is really huge now. Mm-hmm. And so I always just remind myself that this is something I'm doing for myself on my journey to becoming a better person and to healing myself just as a human being from what I've gone through in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I get up there, you know, I kind of just try to forget about everyone else and remind myself about that. What's the message you feel is at the core of every poem you've ever written? Hmm. Um. So for me, I try to treat it like a story and I've gone through a couple of different methods and, you know, it's troubling. A a lot of people that I've met always say, you know, they want to write or look, you know, I want to be able to do what you do and how do you do that and that sort of thing. But no one really knows where to start. So one of the things that I do is I literally will just write whatever I want to say. Like, you know, if I'm going to write a poem about, um, like okay a recent poem that I wrote was about it was called my home language is foreign in my own mouth and essentially it was about how you know I am a um you know Koja girl who was born in Canada raised in Canada that sort of thing and whilst in our culture we have so many languages that we speak I'm not as fluent as I would love to be in those languages you know I, Mm -hmm. I speak English and that's what I've grown up in. So talking about how in my own language is actually foreign to me and what that feels like. And I just wrote about all the experiences I've had, like literally like a story, you know, how being at the mosque and when an auntie might ask you to get something for her and you're like, I don't know what you're saying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something like that. And the feeling of, you know, in other communities, how it is when you don't understand what they're saying and how, you know, just all these sort of experiencing experiences and feelings and thoughts and that sort of thing. And when I sort of pinpointed what was most important, I turned those into actual lines. And, you know, soon after they all started to form into a piece. So that's why I think the core method is really getting out and figuring out what exactly do you want to say as a person? Like, you know, you want to write something about... sexism or is an empowerment and that sort of thing but what is your do you want it to be vague do you want it to be to be specific do you want to make it personal or not so figuring out that and then working within that realm makes it a lot more easier Mm -hmm. what's your drive um my drive I would say is um I guess like anger as a person Mm -hmm. so a lot of the things that I see out there in the world can make me angry Um, and I'm a very emotional person and anger is an emotion that comes pretty easily (laughs) to me and so I guess this is my way of kind of turning that into a positive thing where you know unfortunately there's a lot of things that are happening out there in the world and there's a lot of things that affect us specifically as individuals and you can feel really helpless and scared and lost during that Mm -hmm. and so I take the anger that 
comes from that and I, you know, turn it into a spoken word piece. And I, you know, it's kind of my way of saying to the world that you're trying to get me down or you're trying to push us down, but I'm not going to let you. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you deal with, so you have a poem that just went viral. How did you deal with that instant fame? And can you tell us the story behind that poem? Yeah, so that's actually a great story that I I love sharing. And I wish I could convey that more in that poem. But uh, essentially, and there is an actual line where I say in the poem, where it's like, or to my business teacher who, you know, thought that Islamic culture, or he, my business teacher who showed us a video of ISIS in the class. Mm -hmm. And that was a a true story where I was in my international business class in high school, uh, senior year. And the lesson was about Islamic culture. So it was essentially supposed to be about cultures and how international business, you, you know, would connect with other cultures and stuff. So, mm-hmm. okay, relevant to the course material. And the video that he showed was a very propaganda um, vice video about ISIS. And it was extremely graphic in the sense where he literally had to pause it and skip it at times because wow. students could not handle that. Like, first of all, there was no, you know, caution warning that okay this video is going to be graphic if you need to leave mm-hmm. the room if anyone you know is getting triggered by this or any of that, he, yeah. yeah he literally just showed it and after the video was like okay now we're gonna move on to this like talking about Japanese culture and I was like like I remember looking at my um other good uh, Muslim friend in the class and we kind of like you know just shared a look where we we're like do we say something do we not like mm-hmm. we really couldn't believe that that had just happened especially because me and her both had gone to an islamic school so those experiences were pretty rare and new to us and that always having to tackle that well in any case whether or not you have been raised in a very islamic environment is very daunting and scary to you know speak up and say something and i i did Mm -hmm. speak up and i was like what does this have to do with islamic culture at all like do you know what culture means first of all like we Mm -hmm. talked about our food or you know anyone can be a Muslim and there's like Turkey and Yemen and Lebanon and all these amazing countries mm-hmm. that have their own, you know, ways they practice Islam and stuff. And, you know, he was of course trying to defend it, say all the stuff, etc. And after, you know, he came to me and he's like, Oh, you know, thank you for saying that. I've shown this in like about four classes and you're the first person to say something. Wow. And I was like, first of all, you don't need to thank me for anything. Like I did what I was supposed to and the fact that you showed this in four classes and you didn't realize that it was wrong, like I was like, why did you keep justifying it? And that's another point for me when I realized that so many people don't know. And that's because we as a community are not telling these people that what you're doing is wrong and that you want to be an ally to us or, you know, you're afraid of domestic or international terrorism and these things, but you don't know the actual facts or you don't know who we are as Muslims. And so I took the anger because I was really angry like I went to my principal after and I was like you need to stop this and I wrote that poem and I had performed it at school and it had gone viral as well and I made sure to tell that teacher after that I was like you know what thank you because you sparked that poem for me and it did get viral fame so (laughs) thank you for that so how did you deal with that um what was it like waking up and finding that your poem had gone viral.
We apologize. I think there's a little bit of a delay. Um, just a little it no. It was a pretty weird feeling. And I'm not going to lie. There are tiny points like out there. So yeah, one of the things on my poems one day and publish them. And one another thing that does drive me is just thinking about the successes that I want to achieve and barriers that I want to overcome. And so I remember, I think my mom had uh, messaged it to me like, oh, wow, look at this Facebook account, reposted your video. And it was, you know, getting like 200 views. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then it, get, it got like a thousand views and 10,000 views. And, you know, suddenly it kept building and it got into the millions. And I was like, okay, that's super weird. It was kind of like shock and a little bit of like disbelief. And I was like, people like this? I was like, they actually want to hear what I have to say. And especially like I look back on that specific poem now and I kind of cringe a little bit because like my writing has grown a lot or in the way I perform it. And I'm like, you know, and some people like even now like at my workplace, like when I get really close with someone, you know, they end up finding out like, oh, you're a spoken word artist and this. And then another person had told my boss and my boss had gone into the back room with all the other employees. And he came back to me and he was like, oh, by the way, we just watched your video. And, you know, was saying my lines to me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird. So it was interesting because there wasn't really an opportunity for me to separate a person, that personal life and that work life for me, mm -hmm. even though in a way they do go hand in hand. But I mean, it can be difficult because sometimes then people will expect you like they're, you know, they're like, OK, perform for us right now. And I was like, I just want my paycheck, but OK. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, but Alhamdulillah, I think it's, I mean, it's only done amazing things for me in which I've gotten so many more opportunities. And mm -hmm. it actually came at a time in my life when I, I wasn't really writing anymore. I had kind of lost that drive. Mm -hmm. And that going viral, people started noticing me more and reaching out to me more. And I was like, you know what, if people like this, I should start try writing again. And for a while, it was difficult because I wasn't doing it for myself. But over time, you know, I fell back in love with writing again, because, mm -hmm. you know, as you get older, university student, career wise, it's, it's hard to balance something that's a hobby, or a, yeah. a, could be a profession. Mm -hmm. um, so when we spoke before, you mentioned having a poem that you wanted to read out live for our audience today. Do you mind? Um, yeah, Sorry, you're cutting out a little bit. Uh, pull it up. Um, can you still hear me? Yeah, okay, now it's good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm just going to try find it. In the meantime, I don't know if you want to... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, can you tell us uh, the skills that someone needs in order to be a successful poet? Mm -hmm. um, so I think one of the most important skills is to really own your story. So one of the things that I noticed um, when I was, I recently taught a poetry workshop to a high school class. And um, a lot of the kids I noticed, you know, would see a lot of the things happening out there in the world. And, you know, their takes on it were really great, but I could sense that it was coming from a place in which they didn't really feel it as their own. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think when you incorporate and put your own personal story or I mean it doesn't have to be personal but something that really means something to you 
that piece just becomes so much stronger. So I think uniqueness is a really important skill to have. Um, confidence for sure. So, I mean, learning the theatrics of performing is really important, but it's the passion and the effort and the care that really embodies that piece or that love and drive for spoken word or whatever art form it is that you're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have the poem up here, if I, um, yeah. Of course, go for it. I'm sorry. For Boston, in Brussels, in Paris, in 9-11, for Osama, the Taliban, ISIS, I'm sorry. Even though there is no blood on my cloth, I was never an accomplice, but here I am, taking the blame, apologizing for terrorism more than any white man ever has. 90% of terror attacks in North America are by non-Muslims, 100% of terror attacks are from Columbines, Sandy Hooks, Parklands, New Zealands. So when, insert white man's name, chases insert Muslim family with a insert household weapon, the insert Muslim slow foaming out of his mouth like a insert metaphor for violence that does not do the violence justice. It's not classified as a hate crime, but a parking dispute road rage, a loyal citizen erring on the side of precaution, a lonely boy who needs medical attention. Paint me over with the brush called discrimination, color me in with the colors called generalization, wash me out with the unbelievable concept of Islamophobia, telling us we scare you while praying in public on our hands and knees, harmless. Islam literally means submission, means peace, what happens when a white man targets a mosque? When Friday prayers in Quebec tur quickly turns into a Friday janaza? When Stephen Clark's backyard turns into his graveyard? When Nabra Hassanan's Eid gift is her kafan? When hello brother turns into a greeting for Malak al-Mawt? Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We belong to Allah and to him we shall return. Commemorating death is a phrase learned in our children's books. We know we are the only ones who will grow to mourn for our dead. Who will attend the ghusl, organize the vigil? Who will take responsibility for the blood that walks with us outside of the mosque? Certainly not Trudeau, not Trump. Their tweets filled with sympathy, hashtag thoughts and prayers. I tweet hashtag justice for any of us and end up in handcuffs on a no-fly list, headhunted on punish a Muslim day or every day. Shawarma in one hand, as you yell at us to go back to our country, we are waiting for you to give it back to us. When is the U.S. going to apologize for its terrorism in Islamic countries? I'm sorry for the dead, but who weeps for the Muslim children after a drone strike? Does the Eiffel Tower turn green after a U.S. bomb lands in Pakistan? Where is the moment of silence for Syria? Where are the rallies for Yemen? I'm sorry for the sufferings and the massacres the bombings and the bloodshed, the attacks and the hurt, but don't you know I'm hurting too? Don't you know it hurts to stand up here and apologize for breathing? The only shots I've ever fired are the ones that racist on Twitter. The only gun I've ever fired are the ones that ex with bullets called poetry. The only bombs I've ever dropped exploded with kindness. Instead of dropping bombs, I dropped mics. 
I pray for the day when justice finally says salam. When Muslim girls are not told to replace their hijabs for beanies, when a cell phone is no longer the deadliest weapon in a room. When I am no longer a terrorist. When I no longer have to say sorry. Thank you, Zaino. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I think um, something that we that drives us towards your poetry is how you connect it to spirituality so beautifully, but you still have that social justice edge and you still do your research. How important is it to you have that um, research done in order to create that impact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I always do research before I do a piece. Um, the way I kind of approach it is a little bit academic and essay-like, just because I think there's so much power that you can deliver. And it's so open word, and especially when, alhamdulillah, I have platform you now come on and perform my piece at a time I have, um, you know, it be something that I'm writing on the environment or, you know, um, Islamophobia or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to make sure that statistics are there if I can incorporate them or the knowledge is there and history I think is truly really or um, history on a macro level um, yeah even acknowledging like history wise like spoken word is a black art form that came from the black community because you know and we see this even today like black folks are the ones who are who have been historically oppressed for mm -hmm. a long time and still are and you know art is something that came from oppression like you know um people trying to liberate themselves from that it's a movement and it's a fight back mm -hmm. and so i want to make sure that even in the art form that i'm doing i'm doing that justice mm -hmm. is it does it um provide to be a little more difficult or challenging as a female in this realm in this sphere mm -hmm. uh definitely that's one of the challenges that i have and continue to go through in a lot of the spaces that I navigate, I'm either told, unfortunately, by a lot of prominent community members to, you know, either not be given a mic and having the chance, the chance to speak just because, you know, we have this cultural mindset that a woman's voice cannot be heard or, okay, she can perform it, but she can't stand up. Um, mm -hmm. I've also gone to events where, you know, the male speaker will get paid, but I don't. Um, they'll get more, you know, recognition and respect just that their bios are read out. And for me, I'm kind of treated as sort of a background person. And, and it's really hard too when you end up being someone who sort of will carry an event or they'll, yeah. you know, really rely on you to come through for them, but they don't give you that same respect. Um, you know, even promotion wise, that's not there. And that's something I think in general, just needs to really be acknowledged even within our community that if you're going to have artists pay them and recognize them you know mm -hmm. even and, and it's really unfortunate when it's in within your own community that you're overlooked like that um think you know in all aspects of life women are always the ones who do a lot of the brunt work or a lot of the frontline work and we need to respect them acknowledge them and support them 
you know, and if you are a man or anyone who has, you know, a female friend who's out there in the spotlight, support them in whichever way you can, you know, whether they be a spoken word artist or a journalist or, you know, a doctor, these sort of things that are, you know, just seen as shameful to women or women have to work a lot more harder to get respect in those certain fields. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think our community really can do more and should do more. I would love to, you know, hold workshops in the community and, you know, help some of the youth with finding their voice and finding means and modes to express that. And of course, after today's show, anyone who would like to reach out to Zainab can just go on our website and send us an email and we can get you in touch. Um, Zainab, have you ever been discouraged at one point where you just thought, you know, this is, I'm not going to do this anymore? Hmm. Um, there are people who will always have something negative to say. And, you know, I think feedback and criticism is truly important. Um, and there always are going to be people who try to bring you down. But for me, Alhamdulillah, I've always had a really great support system. So I've always been actually encouraged, you know, through my family and through my mom, who's a really prominent speaker. Um, I always had that role model to look at that, you know, a woman can go out and speak and share her mind and, you know, just, so yeah, that's been really great in itself. Having that support system has always been like, you know what, no, you can do this or it's okay if you want to take a break as well. Yeah. Um, can you tell us uh, what else you do on the side? So you're not just a poet. You also are a full-time student. Um, tell us a bit about your uh, career. Yeah, so I, I do a lot on the side, actually. I'm a very involved and engaged um, student. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, currently going to my fourth year of sonology. I recently also worked at my university um, managing the uh, sexual violence support line. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really important, really eye-opening for me as well. And I uh, was a program manager at a uh, science club, which was uh, free for low-income and marginalized students, um, kids. Um, so I think the, the side work that I do with my spoken word is really important and really comes through in my line of work as well in which I really try to do a lot of advocacy and when I'm doing my spoken work spoken word I'm really I guess talking the talk and you know a flash to my professional life or my educational life that's me sort of trying to walk the talk (laughs) so really Mm -hmm. trying to put that into action saying that you know there needs to be change and we need to do this and for me, if I'm going to be going out there and saying that, I want to actually be trying to do that mm-hmm. in what I do. Um, and I think even, you know, I'm always trying to bring it back to our community because I would not be in this place if it wasn't for my community, you know, even with negative and positive things that can happen within your own childhood. Um, they really have helped me grow as a person and as an individual. And I want to be able to bring back the knowledge that I have and the opportunities that I get back to my own community to mm-hmm 
you know, educate them on things that they may not have access to because, you know, education is a privilege. And even today in a world where we're trying to be more socially and politically aware, um, accessing that information and, you know, unlearning the uncomfortable things is really hard to do. And we need to also support each other in that sense to, you know, allow ourselves to make mistakes and push each other to learn and do better. Mm-hmm. So we are coming to the end of our show now, but um, Zainab, what is your final piece of advice for our audience coming in today? Um, My final piece of advice would be to really push yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, I think when it comes to art and spoken word or professional life and education, it's really important to say yes to opportunities and to learn the difference between, you know, setting boundaries for yourself. So, you know, a lot of the time I get asked to do work that I don't have the capacity to do, or sometimes if it's not, you know, a paying gig, I can't really afford to do that. Or if it's like an hour and a half away, you know, and I, I used to always think I have to say yes, I have to say yes, because I want these experiences and I want to be able to share it, but I had to learn how to say no. So knowing Mm -hmm. when to say no and taking care of yourself, but also not letting the fear stop you. Um, So I think embracing your fears is really important. And once you do that and you get through that, you know, uncomfortableness that comes with going out of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. um, just waiting to see the results is really impactful. Um, You know, I'm actually at a retreat this weekend because I'm on the board of directors at my student union. And this retreat, you know, this weekend, it's all about building connections and relationships and team building and that sort of thing. And it's really also opened my eye to just being collaborative. So, you know, life is hard and we have to remind ourselves that it's okay to ask for help in any Uh step of the journey. So, you know, just encouraging people to be independent and to also, you know, let yourself rely on those who love and support you because that's why they're there for you is to help you. Thank you so much, Zainab, for your words of inspiration today and for reciting that wonderful poem. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, Just a little note uh, to let everyone know that Zainab's team was actually the one who won um, the cup at the Emoji Games in Dearborn last year. Uh, So if you would also like to come out and try to win, Come to the Emoji Games 2019 from August 2nd to 4th in Detroit. Uh, You can register today at www.emojioutreach.org. It's open for everyone, men, children, kids. Sorry, men, children, and women. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We hold this talk show weekly. Um, If you would like to reach out to today's speaker or any speakers from any of our previous shows, To ask them any questions, you can reach out on our online platform. That's emojiatreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups. Make sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. for another panel of speakers and more stories. And make sure to also participate in the Fastathon, where any day that you recite, put on fast or attend mosque, you can make an impact on those in need where the proceeds from your effort will be going to Nisa Holmes, who's providing long-term shelters to immigrants, refugees, and Muslim women that are homeless. Thank you for listening in again today on our Facebook Live.